every time we start rec recording, I'm I'm so curious what today's topic is going to be. Yeah, it's so fun. I really like this um, experiment. And today yeah. I have a puzzle for you. Oh no, <laughs> I'm not good at puzzles, but bring it on. Not a really a puzzle, more like a trivia question. Okay. I'm going to give you a list of movies. Yeah. And I want you to guess what year the movies were all made. Okay. Okay, you should be able to get this. There's a lot of movies. Black Klansman, Roma, Into the Spider-Verse, Eighth Grade, The Green Book, The Black Panther, or just Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, and The Favorite. I mean, that's a pretty good collection of movies. Yeah, it is a pretty all different good genres. collection of movies. Um, I should know this. Oh, wait a second. Was it 20... Because I'm thinking about the Oscars, right? And uh, yeah. But they are not... The, the Oscars are the, the year after all of them came out. So... Exactly. 20... Oh, fuck. 2017? So close. Ah, oh, fuck, was it 2018? So yes. Shit, that was my first guess. Damn it. Ah, I'm so oh, annoyed. No. You should be ashamed. We can just end the recording now. I'm just going to cry. <laughs> well, I feel like you should, you know, it's fine. You were close enough, and it's a hard question to answer. It's not, and though. <laughs> I, I know that. I guess. It wasn't oh, that long no. ago. But... So 2018, I would say, just with that list of movies, thinking about all those movies in the same year, was a pretty good movie year. Yeah. Uh, maybe the Green Book winning Best Picture wasn't the greatest result. No. Nope. A reflection of the quality of movies of 2018, but it was a really solid year for movies. Okay. So very quickly, sorry if sorry to interrupt, but who do you? Which movie do you think should have gotten the Oscar that year? We will get to that. Ah, I see. Okay. And it was very interesting. So today I had a lot of trouble finding the topic that I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. I basically did try to do, like, I try to, like, figure out what I want to talk about. I actually went to my, this is maybe, this is definitely pulling back the curtain a little bit, but I went to my YouTube feed to see, like, what are the categories of stuff that I just was, like, you know, popping up just to give me some inspiration. Mm. I mean, unlike you, I don't have a list already of, like, 3,000 things I want to talk about. So it's just 500. Let's not exaggerate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just like, but when I went through the YouTube like lists of stuff, it was just all things about, I'll just give you a list of the stuff that came up. It was like food stuff, hmm. like COVID-19 news, Yay. which I think we are barred for talking about yeah. on this topic on this podcast. Um, things about the NBA because the playoffs are going on now. Mm. Jedi Fallen Order stuff because I've been playing that recently. Mm. The Clone Wars, which obviously we talk about a billion times. Rebels, which I cannot talk about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, like other like sitcoms, like Parks and Rec, mm. and or Community, which I already did talk about. So I was kind of like in a little hole of like inspiration for like, oh my god, what in the world can I talk about today? But a news article came up on my feed about a new TV show that's releasing or that has released in June 2021. Mm -hmm. None of these mood, none of the stuff that were on my YouTube feed could set the mood that I wanted to convey, mm -hmm. or either it was something I couldn't talk about or something we talk about too much. <laughs> I wanted to change it up a bit and find something that really means a lot to me because that's what the week looks about, right? It's about mm -hmm. finding and sharing different corners of media that connect with us and sort of move us in a way that I would say is akin to a beautiful work of art. Absolutely. And the list of movies of 2018 I laid out to you I'm still so fucking mad at myself. <laughs> Sorry, go on. 
<laughs> no, it's fine. Is just to prove how great 2018 in movies was, or to set that foundation upon which I will talk about my favorite movie from 2018, mm. and that is Blind Spotting. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Bring it on. Which I argue is one of my favorite movies of the entire 2010s. Yeah. And arguably my favorite movie of the past five years. Wow. And I choose to speak about this to you today because of a new spin-off show titled Blind Spotting, releasing in June 2021, also written by David Diggs and Raphael Casal. Holy shit. Yeah. And I mean, it looks so good and i will speak spoiler free about the tv show uh-huh um but i will include some spoilers on the movie on talking yeah. about specific scenes but in order to encourage people to watch this film i will save the spoilers until the end of the podcast and i will you know give a clear spoiler warning so you can listen until you hear a spoiler warning from me and It'll all just be about you know what makes this movie so great. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yes. Did you listen? Did you watch that movie on um, my recommendation or no? Was it just on your own? I I think it was on my own because okay. you know as I talked <laughs> as I talked about last episode after watching Hamilton a thousand times or listening listening to it a thousand times, I just branched off and looked at all the works of all the people who were involved in, in terms of the original cast and so of course i came across uh that movie and it's so good yes i'm so excited so blind spotting is uh just for just to set the stage a little bit it is a movie about two friends colin and miles who live in oakland modern day oakland and colin is on his last few days of probation, while Miles, his crazy friend, puts him into a bunch of hijinks. They're best friends. They've been friends for a long time. And Colin feels a sort of responsibility and loyalty to Miles despite his repeated antics. Both of them work for a moving company and go around Alameda County, which is the county that Oakland is in moving people's crap <laughs> and that's all i'll say about the plot until we get to the spoilers later on yeah we should point out as well that you know colin is black and miles is white we'll get to that okay of course we'll get to that yeah i know i know <laughs> i just thought like this is an important thing anyway. colin and miles are um, the stars of the movie, but also David Diggs and Raphael Cassell, respectively, who wrote and produced this film, and who are also writing and producing the TV show. Oh, this has me very excited. The TV show or the podcast? I mean, both. <laughs> okay, great. So, the I you know initially saw it in theaters back in 2018 um, mm -hmm. on a trip when I was back in the United States. And I didn't really have any expectations. I just went to my local like indie theater film just to watch it. Um, I think it was, I don't know if it was initially connected because of Hamilton or just because I just wanted to see a random movie and this was it. But I was blown away immediately. I think on that trip, which is almost a span like two weeks, I think I had seen it two more times in theaters. Mm. And since then, I've recommended it to literally everyone I know who asks about a movie to watch. Mm. I've watched it, you know, with friends sitting in basements all over the world, basically. <laughs> um, I think I like I recommend it to people like Chris recommends podcasts. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, the, this movie really warrants that. It's it's so good. I. Uh, I remember when I saw it, I obviously I knew, you know, it's uh, it's by David Diggs and Raphael Casal. I had listened to their music previously, um, or some of it anyway, and I didn't know what to expect and was blown away by by it because it's so 
different in a way. You have famously a very long movie list of movies you recommend, right? Yeah. I this movie's on there, right? Oh yeah. Okay, oh. perfect. I'm just making sure. Yeah. Because if I, ha- I have I would be very disappointed. No, of course. I have uh within those movies, I have three tiers. And uh this one is definitely in the top tier, so what are other can you like just sample what other movies would be on there? We have basically all of Edgar Wright's movies. <laughs> are you gonna watch this new Sparks movie by Edgar Wright? I have uh is that that a horror movie? No, it's um I don't okay, then I don't know what it is about and yes I'm gonna watch it, but I don't know anything about it, so shut up. <laughs> I mean Okay, what what is on there? So yeah, all of Edgar Wright's movies. Um the Before Trilogy, which I mentioned previously, some Fincher movies, Moonlight, Beale Street Could Talk, The Favorite, Parasite, Jojo Rabbit, some Kurosawa movies, some anime movies. Nice. Yeah. That's like a solid list. Yeah. And this is definitely on there. Oh, yeah. Okay. So... This movie is set in Oakland, in the Bay Area, and it is set upon a backdrop of rapid, rapid transformation. There's transformations that are currently going on in San Francisco Bay Area. It is, if you're not familiar, is an area that has become so wealthy so fast, fueled by the 21st century tech boom. Companies like Facebook and Apple and Google just flooding so much money into the area. And increasing the cost of living tremendously as a result and what that has resulted in also is the rapid gentrification of areas such as oakland this has pushed out many locals and has really it's hard to frame it in anything less than a clash of socioeconomic classes Hmm in a space that has been defined by the struggle for grabbing onto the socioeconomic ladder and trying to rise up and also classified as largely African-American in demographics. And it's very interesting when we think of the clash of race in the United States, which has define the United States for, at this point, its entire existence, is often between, you know, especially in the past hundred years, has been framed within uh, actively racist geography, I don't know, like space, with uh, themes like race riots and the KKK, etc., etc., but I would even argue that modern day trends of gentrification that engulf areas like Oakland or even my hometown of Washington, D.C. have largely been at the expense of urban black communities and have then been flooded by a largely white middle to upper middle class what am I trying to say? You're really struggling today. No, no, no. It's because okay. it's something that's so difficult to speak about because yeah. it is very sensitive as well as problematic. Mm. What's interesting is that class of people that often characterize gentrification are not the aforementioned overtly racist um, communities, but instead largely communities that are very liberal and very pro-social justice. And that's not, I'm not trying to say that is a bad thing at all. I think, you know, obviously both of us lean towards just general acceptance and just not being a dick. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) (laughs) But it's from the perspective of the person being disenfranchised continuously by gentrification it's a very difficult position to be in because at one point you know historically the urban centers of cities were seen as not desirable to live in and largely african-american communities were shoved into 
living in these urban centers while middle class white families lived in the suburbs. And now that the script has flipped and now that all of a sudden it is seen as desirable to live in the urban centers, then now the affluent white communities are moving back in and then these people are losing their homes and moving out towards the suburbs in a way that is against their will. So that's just a lot, a little bit about justification, I guess, in general. But that is to say that this movie hits on that theme of gentrification, racism in America, and how the two are inevitably intertwined. And that is not the even the most overt message or theme that it talks about as a film. Mm. And then that is a theme that has been cursing the United States for, uh, I can not really tell you how long, but that has been police brutality and has become a larger social issue over the past decade. And as more and more people of color have been, let's just say, killed by police. Mm. That is a theme that goes throughout this movie and is very overt, clearly. (laughs) Right, Chris? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this movie embodies the fear and the frustration to be defined by your skin color and how that skin color inherently just makes life infinitely more dangerous for you. Whether you get into an altercation with a police officer or are going through the prison system or are going through the probation system or even just happen to be in a misunderstanding or an altercation with someone that basically defines the rest of your life largely because you are a person of color in the United States. And let me just also say, this is not just an issue in the United States. It's all over the developed world. But obviously here we're speaking about what's happening in the United States and specifically in Oakland, which has experienced some of the most rapid and transformative changes over the past decades. What I love about this movie in terms of how it discusses race in the United States is it doesn't only talk about what it means to be black in America, but it has a more nuanced story of race. And part of that follows the story of Miles, who struggles with his inferiority complex of being white in a largely black urban space where he overcompensates for his, from his perspective, lack of being African-American in a space where it is largely African-American. So it goes to show how there's concentric circles of power dynamics that intertwine within different spaces in the United States. And it's obviously the larger script is clear that there is a dominant affluent Caucasian community in the United States that tends to have a higher power level to a largely African-American poor in the United States. But within that, you have the depiction of the story of Miles, who is white living in that black space that complicates that simple narrative and also speaks to another aspect of communities that are often just invisible. So it's just an amazing and uniquely nuanced story that we don't often get in films, especially as those that are as socially progressive and poignant and trying to portray a specific message as this film is and you know it is like this inversion is just such a yeah as you pointed out it is so rare and that's what that's one of the many things that makes this movie so powerful and it's incredible you know there are there are more reasons why this movie is amazing but just just that would suffice you know but the fact that there are more things that there are way more layers than that is just quite an accomplishment it's absolutely amazing and it's also like you know this is on top of all this is a commentary as i mentioned on the prison system itself how the rigidity and kind of ridiculousness of the parole system is is so confining to people and defines them in a way that is absolutely ridiculous 
as they're trying to go around town, they're in a moving company. They have specific restrictions on where they can go and what they can do and all these things just because of this system that has set up to restrict those who, you know, made a mistake, serve their time, and then have to continue serving time, basically living ostensibly, quote-unquote, free, but really still a prison to a system that requires that they declare on every job application that they are a convicted criminal etc etc and it is a it's sort of a scarlet a that they wear with them throughout the rest of their lives i've spoken a little bit about what this movie is actually about while not actually speaking about details but now i'm going to speak a little bit to what makes this movie good and i have to start with how grounded this movie feels in its dialogue. Both Cassell and Diggs are from the East Bay. They speak with a natural rapport that is really difficult to capture in film so many times. Mm. The writing for Miles as he goes around town hustling is it is so funny yet commanding and just captures your attention in a way that you know so it's so few movies can do and this movie has two characters that work off one another so beautifully and you definitely buy that they know they've known each other for a long time because uh, david diggs and rafael casal do know each other for have known each other for a long time so you can definitely tell that yeah it's perfect it's the way that they know how they are they they expect certain things as they speak to each other there's obviously a rapport there's a back and forth that just feels so natural and just the dialogue of this film is absolutely amazing one of the things that this film does incredibly is that it incorporates the harshness and just realness of life with now i don't want to say fantastical but it incorporates Elements that are not, you know, actively seen in daily life, things like our crazy dreams or a breakdown of our sanity, or it melds rap into the narrative. A because David Dizix is amazing at it, but it also is a reflection of how the many stresses that we see in the harshness of our reality break down our sanity and our mental health in a way that just infects every aspect of our life and there are recurring scenes in the film that as you see them happen over and over again the tone of them switch tremendously and represents the slow slide towards a mental breakdown for lack of a better term in this film and it is extremely symbolic of largely Colin's journey through this movie, but also, as I mentioned, a larger societal point towards how we struggle mentally with or in response to life, I guess. Yeah, life in an oppressive system. Exactly. Um, Yeah, uh, I mean, you mentioned David Diggs's ability, and he definitely shines in this movie but also rafael casal is also very good um they're both maybe, amazing together yeah, yeah exactly just wanted to <laughs> quick shout out also rafael casal is also great <laughs> 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 it's just that that david dix has maybe the more powerful scenes in which he is rapping but yeah it is this interweaving of narrative and spoken word that is so different from you know, most other movies or like all of them, I don't know. That is just such a, it is so powerful. It can, it has these moments where it really poignantly stresses what this, what a given scene is about, but it also sometimes function as functions as a, as a moment to sit back and let what just happened affect you as kind of giving you breathing room. And all of the scenes in which that happens are just so well chosen. It's just amazing. Such a, I also have to quickly shout out. I would. I love the performance of Jasmine Selfish Jones. Oh, so plays good. Ashley. 
she plays Miles' partner and the father to their son. And oh my God, her performance is amazing. Speaking to what you said is that this movie is simultaneously extremely funny somehow, yet really serious. There are movies, there are points in this movie where I'm just laughing out loud. You know, jokes about having a $10 green smoothie in the ghetto. Just like, <laughs> just like the signs of bouginess that we can all kind of relate to and yeah. just like realize it's ridiculous. But that's the life we live. Mm. Miles just hustling all over the city, trying to sell stuff that as one does in his situation. And just the way that it's written and the way he acts through things is just so funny. I mean, the, 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 the scene in the barber shop, or like the hairdresser, I mean, that's just so good. And with the boat, it's just so good. <laughs> I mean, I think it's partially inherent to the plot, and it's a great setting for the plot because they're working at a moving company. Hmm. And obviously, they can just move from client to client, and they are put in ridiculous and odd situations. And, you know, that bears fruit throughout the course of the film. And just it's it's just really funny. And it's if you think about it, two friends working at a moving company is really just like a a a, a scene for a sitcom, mm-hmm. right? I mean, think about I mean, King of Queens is set in a very similar. I think they're delivery drivers at King yeah. of Queens, but it is what do you want at a sitcom? You want a malleable premise in which you can put people in ridiculous situations, and despite that, it literally just shakes you to your core as a film five minutes after making you laugh and Mm. so few films in all of cinema can make you do that and the last thing i would like to say about what makes this movie so good is that it just is so real Mm. so many movies feel like they're set in a world that is very separate from our own even if they're supposedly set in our world they're either like a small enclave of society or just aren't really rich in in a way that people actually speak. But this movie rings so true to capture a city and also, I guess, a country or a world divided and speaks to specific heartbeats that underpin life. And I think it's partially because of the setting, because they are both from the East Bay, because it is so specific to a space that allows it to feel so grounded. You know, the movie pans and shows shots of local residents as they're going around the East Bay. It, you know, specifically highlights the designs of homes and bodegas that represent the area and are very uniquely specific to that area. And, you know, it's odd that we think of films or the best films are the ones that make the most money or attract the largest audience or are meant for the largest or the widest amount of people. But I think in reality, the opposite is true. And the best films are the most specific ones because the most specific ones feel most true to our reality. It might not be reflective of our life, but it is reflective of life. Yeah, this movie definitely has one of the most realistic films I've ever, uh, one of the most realistic feelings I've ever seen in cinema. It is incredible. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it is like to live in Oakland, but I can feel it. And you know, you always have, you there is always this saying of, oh yeah, the uh, the city is a true character in the movie or the whatever it is, the novel. Um, and I usually hate that sort of thing like saying that saying it because it's often not true or rather it's only true for people who are from that specific location but in this movie i who has never been to oakland can really feel it and that's really impressive that's not as impressive as you know making these characters feel so real and so as, as like such like realistic depictions of human beings with all their flaws and all their contradictory nature but you know also in terms of the the uh, the setting it feels very palpable so this movie just feels so authentic because it 
is authentic, right? Yeah. It's just, like, that's as simple as it is. It's, you know, two guys from a specific area talking about experiences that they've gone through and people that they know and just putting that to the screen. It's not something contrived like, oh, God, I don't know why this might <laughs> came to mind, but like David Diggs's other work, Snowpiercer, which is just disgusting. Don't watch that, anyone. Wow, good good thing I haven't I, I hadn't had I haven't had time for that. So yeah, don't. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry if there's any Snowpiercer fans out there. The movie is good. I, I'm sure the graphic novel. I think it was a graphic novel is great. But that TV show with David Diggs. I'm sorry, David Diggs. I love you, but <laughs> we both love you. This is both. I feel like the only inter <laughs> like serially hooked is a is a Ahsoka love show, and this is a David Diggs love show. <laughs> <laughs> well, this whole thing is just us talking about things we love. Yeah, and it's just these are the things that we love together. Mm. So I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a little bit of a conclusion, and then I'll go into the spoiler section of the podcast before we end up. If that's all right. Oh yeah. So when I think about films that you know I naturally gravitate towards, I think that they fall into two categories generally. It is something either that is a movie that reflects a nuanced representation of human existence that interests me. And that could be something very specific and poignant like this film or something fantastical like even Star Wars that represents certain aspects of human life indirectly. Or it could be something that pokes fun at life in a way that is ridiculous but also poignant community is an example that i've already talked about that also speaks to this specific point and place one of these sort of themes on a bed of like good writing and cinematography and i'm gonna love the movie easy it's really easy to get me to love a movie well that's easier said than done but Blind spotting does both of these things flawlessly. And when I think about this film, I can honestly say it makes you remember why I love movies in the first place. Mm. It's a piece of its time that's socially aware. It is made with intention. It is funny. It is sad. It touches at what it means to be living at this time in the United States a country divided not by race, but also the legacy of racism and that has had a significant impact on the relative socioeconomic development and disenfranchisement of urban communities that has lasted until today. There are many themes that are wrapped up into this movie that it becomes, I think, impossible to summarize its meaning into one message. But... Importantly, I think it's best to say that it is a complete film. It's robust and three-dimensional to capture real people, a real setting, and it is not reductive in its depiction that we often see in cinema. I mean, blind spotting is just as real as life. Ah, so good. I love this. <laughs> yeah, that was a perfect perfect encapsulation and now we go to our spoiler section yes. so we're gonna in this next section if we'll be talking about specific scenes specific parts of the film that both of us really enjoyed so if you haven't seen the movie now stop listening here go watch the film and then immediately come back and re-listen to this part of the podcast mm. <laughs> because i'm sure all of you listen to this podcast twice yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously watch that movie I don't think I could, you know, off the top of my head, recommend a movie more than I can Blind Spotting. But yeah, it's one of these movies, though, that you kind of have to be in the mood for. I think this movie is so good it makes you in the mood for oh, it. Okay, yeah. You don't have to because what you want a comedy, watch Blind Spotting. You want a serious movie, watch Blind Spotting. <laughs> you want to watch a movie with your kids, watch Blind Spotting. <laughs> I mean. Uh... Referring to it as a comedy is a little, but it's like the thing is there are funny moments. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily make it a comedy. But I think it actually starts off relatively more lighthearted, and yeah, I think yeah. that if you're in the mood for a comedy, it'll start you at comedy and then move you forcibly into drama. Yeah. So you don't have to, in my mind, be into the mood for it, 
you can just watch it depending on any mood you have and you will go through the ride mm. because i feel like one of the things especially if if your mood doesn't coincide with the movie i think the worst part is starting the movie so if you want a comedy and you get something that is like i don't know a 007 shooter and you start out with like this torture scene and you're just like oh my god this doesn't really re- reconcile with me but if you want a comedy and you start we're getting into spoilers here and you start with two people smoking up weed in like a purple whatever the fuck car <laughs> raised up on these like big rims and <laughs> just like playing with like buying a gun and it's just a funny scene That'll get you into the movie. And then you go from there. Mm. Right. So I don't know. I think this movie's perfect for any mood. I think I'm gonna go watch it now. <laughs> Not now. We need to finish the podcast. Yeah, after after we finish this. Okay. So <clears throat> some scenes that I just want to talk about. Uh, yeah. And oh my god, where do I even start? <laughs> so I'm gonna start with, I guess, chronologically, maybe. Uh-huh. Obviously, when Colin witnesses the police shooting, it's just that's the movie where that's the scene where this movie just takes a turn Mm -hmm. and just becomes so real. And is at that point, you're just like, oh, my God, what is this movie doing to me? What is happening right now? And uh, it's just so affecting and how it's shot with the red and the green and the lights Mm -hmm. and how he's sitting there in the darkness, just illuminated by this red light. Oh, my God. And the way that like the way it even happens right so the guy runs up hits the dashboard looks directly into colin's eyes and then continues to run and the police officer runs right straight past colin runs around and just like obviously shoots him dead in the straight and then makes eye contact with colin and you just have so many layers there Uh, it's just so good i feel like this scene i mean i agree with all you with all you just said but I think the power of that scene starts even before that when he is waiting at the traffic light because you're like he is waiting at the traffic light with his truck and he's, he's getting increasingly fr- frustrated because he can't he you know he he has to wait forever and I think that's you know one of the strengths that this it does take forever it is like it's like l- ludicrously long that like red light phase and it's just like, but he can't, he can't cross it because if he does, he'll just get back, sent back to jail. Yep. And he's already late for probation. And if he's late for the probation, then he also goes to jail. <laughs> like, yeah, it's such a dilemma. And yeah, then on top of that, as though that wasn't already enough, is like all of what you just, you know, with the witness. It's incredible. It's just so good. And it's, you know, it's it's a frustration that we're all familiar with. It's waiting at a red light when no one's around. Yeah. But it is also very specific to his story. And it's, I was going to say, there are a few more layers to it. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, There's a lot more layers to it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just, it's fascinating how they can intertwine something that's so familiar with something that is so, f- not foreign, but not normal for us. But yeah. something we are also aware of, maybe conceptually, but not as experientially. Yeah. It's just so good. And what's interesting about that is that so it's so much easier to have him just be driving down the street and then to see someone who gets shot as opposed mm-hmm. to we see his specific motivation for not wanting to be late and then juxtaposed with his frustration for waiting at the red light. And as you said, actually taking a long time. So you have mm-hmm. all the different the levels of emotions and motivations that are happening all in the same scene without a single word of dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so good. Oh, just like David Diggs' acting here as well. He's, you know, you can sense his frustration waiting at the traffic light. And then you can see in his face how much this this experience traumatizes him because he is just, he he is like just going, going for it afterwards. And he's he just wants to get away from this scene as quickly as he can. And it's it's all there in his face. It's just, I mean, David Diggs, his acting in this film is unreal. Both of them, Cassell yeah. and Diggs, are just yeah. amazing. I have to also mention one of my favorite scenes is the scene, the N-word scene. Yes, so, so good. Oh my God, when I just think about it, like it almost brings tears to my eyes, how strong 
that scene is them two working off each other and him just yeah. screaming at miles to say the n-word yeah. and he's like no i'm not gonna say it and it's just like a tacit recognition of so many things one that miles doesn't really actually belong in this culture even though he acts like he belongs and he is as as he tries so hard he tries so hard and he overcompensates and he's yeah. even crazier than colin and does stupider stuff than colin because of his inferiority complex and he has an inferiority complex because he doesn't belong mm. right and this movie you know or just life i guess in general is not only about living with being a minority in a country but you can be a minority within your community right yeah. and miles is clearly a minority in his community despite being not necessarily a minority in the gratitude scheme but and also like it's colin's frustration of actually he's the one who gets in trouble for all of miles stuff because of the color of his skin because the larger mm. societal power dynamics are put him as the victim so it is just oh my god such an amazing scene and the way that they're yelling and screaming at each other and you know Every movie has like this climactic moment where the two best friends fight, right? Yeah. Or the two like people that are part partner together, you know, argue and then they go their separate ways. And none of them are as good as this movie. The strength of it also lies in the the empathy because you can see both like you can see where both of them are coming from. Yeah. And that's that's not something that just happens this is also an accomplishment of the movie because you can you you just understand how this situation came to be you can sense you can you can definitely feel like colin's frustration you can feel miles's desperation and yeah just it's so it's the only reason why this might not be the most powerful scene in the, of the movie is just because at the very end there is one that's even that oh even my god. You know? <laughs> oh my god. Which, like that scene well, i'll get to it later but yeah, I just of course it. i think it it speaks for an entire generation of people and it speaks yeah. for it just is like putting to words the frustration of millions of people Oh, it's so 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 good. Okay, we'll get to yeah. that later. Um, and also the scene right after that. So when Colin takes the gun from Miles and he has mm -hmm. it in his pocket and he's walking down the sidewalk and the police flashes the yes. light at him. <sighs> it is it is like a perfect example for Chekhov's gun. Yes, you know you literally see it in the very first scene, and then you see it throughout, and it plays a plays a huge role throughout the plot and it's just such in a subtle way too yeah. in some ways and then other ways it's so overt but it is amazingly the same gun and it's I one I, are you going to talk about the kids scene of course of course okay. of course of course <laughs> good, and on good. that note i guess i want to talk about two scenes with sean yeah. the, the kid who are who is just both these scenes are so powerful oh, yeah. and the first one i'll talk about is when Colin is playing he's a rough housing oh, a little bit with fuck. Sean yeah. and he like points a gun at him and Sean like raises his hand to the side don't shoot don't shoot yeah oh. how powerful is that scene it's, it's oh my god because like David Diggs has just like seen this police shooting it is it's incredible how he's affected by it his face his the way he's taken aback by it yeah. yet simultaneously sean is so proud because his mom comes out of the window and is screaming good job baby yeah. and and on the meta level how sad is it that we have to teach little children to put their hands up to not be shot by police officers i mean <laughs> like it is it is it is devastating but you know it's also the country where you have drills for school shootings in primary school and later yeah, on. Exactly. It's not know. just this, obviously, but yeah. it just is like, it's putting this specific sadness and ridiculousness of how this is something that we live with into life and how, yeah. you know, Ashley's, you know, reaction to it of pride is juxtaposed with David Diggs or Collins horror. And those two things together 
are sort of society's reaction to these same things is that it is horrific that we have to do this, but we still have to deal with this and actually do it. Yeah. And it's a ridiculous situation in the United States that this is a reality and it is a continued reality. And oh God, it's just that one specific second hidden kind of in the movie is just speaks so largely about this entire scourge of the United States. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Jasmine uh, Cephas Jones is so powerful as well. I mean, David Diggs and <laughs> Rafael Casal, obviously amazing uh, and stealing the show, but she is so good throughout the movie. Like in every scene, she nails it. Yeah, she kills Just, it. Whether she's delivering a line, like the the scene that always makes me laugh is when um, they get back from the hairdressers and Colin had got a perm. And just the way she delivers the line is like, what the perm? It's like <laughs> hilarious to me. And also, obviously, the chemistry she has with uh, Raphael Cassell. Like, I believe that they are a couple. Like, few other examples in cinema. Also, so much in the uh, in the scene that we're going to talk about next. And I yeah. guess I'll take it away and I'll let yep. you take it away. And on that note, I think I have to talk about, for me, what I think is the most tense I've ever been in a movie theater. <laughs> yeah. Um, gripping oh. the seats, like oh my with the palm of my hands, just sweating more than any like horror film I've ever seen. Mm. And that's the scene when they kind of are arguing, they're talking and I think they're talking about his shirt, making fun of his shirt, right? That um, Sean had bought for his father. Yeah. And they turn around, walk into the living room and Sean's there playing with a gun. I get goosebumps just thinking about it now. Oh, that God. scene. Oh, my God. I can't, like... It's just so shocking. And you just, like... Because of the realness of this movie, you yeah. fully <laughs> believe that this kid will shoot himself in the face. Yeah, I know. And just just how the three adults react, it's so... It's... That's exactly how you would react. Yeah. Oh, I don't know even how to describe the scene, but if you've seen this movie and you know that scene, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Holy shit. And the way that she just like, you know, holds him with desperation yeah. after the scene and just like, it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. So heartbreaking. Yeah, and th like that is the manifestation of Miles's desire to fit in, right? That nearly killed his his child. Yeah, that's crazy. Now I have to go into I think the last scene of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh Speaking God. of an intense scene, yeah, intense in a completely different way, obviously. Yeah. And it's one of these scenes where in other in lesser movies you would think okay this is super contrived it's like gets like that this takes me out of the movie but in here it's like okay this is weird but i believe it and it's especially because they freestyle the whole movie right so they're going back and forth freestyling rapping just kind of going back and like forth together miles and colin are and is integral to his character already it he explains it within the rap itself because hmm. he says like I'm rapping because like you're killing a bunch of us basically. It's the only way yeah. and we are conditioned to listen to one who is rapping. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it and it is a like distinctly African American way of expression. Of course. Yeah. And just the the moment you realize like you see the the um the picture and you realize yeah. oh shit. Yeah. And there's this brief moment where like you don't know what's gonna happen like how is everybody in the scene going to act or react and um yeah what a what a uh conclusion and i don't know i i like of course you know it's so intense collins he cannot even he can't keep his composure and so he I feel like the only way he can prevent himself from shooting the cop 
is by letting his frustrations out through the only other means that he is capable of in that moment, and that's rapping. And yeah. it's so strong as like a valve to, to you know, in order to not shoot him in a way. And then, you know, combined with Miles and his influence on the scene as well, which is obviously a, a great inversion of the entire, like entire relationship throughout the movie where Colin takes care of Miles. But in this scene, it's Miles who takes care of Colin. And it's just the perfect uh, culmination of this amazing movie. And that's green. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, shout out to the cop actor. Just yeah. Yeah, really yeah. Really good. Really good actor on all yeah. three of their parts. Really. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> so intense. Such an intense movie. So yeah. good. I'm glad you've seen it so I didn't have to cut the spoiler part. No, no, of course. Yeah. I mean, also, oh, just such a good movie. Yeah. Oh. I don't know what else to say, to be honest. <laughs> we're, we're mostly just making ah oh, sounds, but remembering how great this movie is. What else do with this movie? Yeah. I don't know, like, I know at some point we will do our favorite movies of specific decades or whatever. Yes. But, I mean, how could this movie not be on the 2010s for me? I, I can't think yeah. of a better movie. Uh, Obviously, we'll go through the list and yeah. think about it more. Um, but on that note, on that very intense note, I think we should uh, wrap up here and just really say to everyone, hopefully you didn't listen to the spoiler section without watching the movie first because this movie deserves not to be spoiled. Yeah. And How dare you if you did? I think you, yeah. I think you should be ashamed of yourself. Well, thank you for listening. Nonetheless, we love all of our <laughs> listeners. Yeah, you're great. <laughs> Whether you should feel ashamed or not. <laughs> Thanks again, Chris, for you know listening to me rant about this movie that I love so much. Oh, please. It was my pleasure. And I'll speak to you next time. I can't wait. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars. If you didn't like the show... Why are you still listening? Five stars. If you want to get in touch, there are a few ways you can do that. Email. Write us an email to hello at seriallyhooked.com. Website. You can check out our website and suggest future topics at seriallyhooked.com. Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at seriallyhooked. If you like the show, tell a friend or ten. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference and helps people discover the show. Thank you so much. One second. <laughs> this is really right. different today. <laughs> I know, right? There's a lot of things that are happening different. I just was trying to look for something right now on the interwebs <laughs> as I... Because I forgot to prep one last thing. Yeah, I know, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, and I just need to find it. And why can't I fucking find it? It's really pissing me off.